You are now listening to Zakaic Podcast, proclaiming Jesus as Savior, Healer, Sanctifier, and Coming King. A blessed and a wonderful Sunday to everyone. Good morning. I am praying that the Lord would continue to speak to us deep within our hearts right at this very moment. I would like to announce to everyone that our former team leader of the Deaconesses, Mrs. Basilisa Reyes, has gone to be with the Lord already yesterday at 3 o'clock in the morning. Her body lies at the La Merced Santa Maria Funeral Home, and I think her interment will be this coming Saturday. So we encourage you to pay a visit and extend some words of encouragement to the family as well. Well, while I am pondering upon the life of Mambash, uh, I remember that moment when we visited her when she was confined in the hospital. When we were there, when she saw us, she started crying. And she mentioned to us that she felt that that was like somewhat the last days of her life already. And yet, after she mentioned those words, she said to us, it's, if it's time, if the Lord takes away my life this time, then I'm ready. It's okay for me. I think I lived a, a, a life that accomplished what God wanted me to accomplish. So I am ready this time. And after which we started praying. We closed our eyes and prayed for her. And she lifted up her hands because I didn't close my eyes that time when we were praying for her. She lifted up her hands and I saw there is peace deep within her heart while she was raising her hand to God, saying, Lord, I am ready. Whatever your will is, I am ready and I am willing to submit to your will. While I was imagining about that, it dawned into my heart and mind that when a believer acknowledges the finality of his or her life, there is a sense of understanding that she or he can face such a reality with peace deep within her heart. On, on the other hand, in contrast, I came around, came across with a story, a testimony of Malcolm Muggeridge, this guy who lives in England, one time had a chance to converse with the daughter of Joseph Stalin. If you know your history, you'll remember this name, Joseph Stalin. He had a chance to converse with the daughter. And Muggeridge remembered fully the conversation that he had with this lady because this lady related to him what she experienced with her father. And at one point of Stalin's life, he was lying on his deathbed. And then when he's, he's about to have an end of his life already, he stood up, he sat down while he was lying on his bed, and he raised his fist before God, and then he fell down on the bed and then died. When I look at these two individuals, Mrs. Basilisa Reyes and Joseph Stalin, both of them were the, in the end of their lives already, and yet they had a different response to it. Mrs. Reyes raised her hand with an open palm, willingly telling the Lord, Lord, I am willing if this is my time, saying, I am willing to submit to your will, and yet here is someone who was not willing to experience such a thing, and with all his pride, raised his body, looked up to heaven, raised up his fist, and then died right at that moment. And here is something that I have observed in the heart and mind of this lady who just passed away. 
There was a peace and a willingness to submit, submit to such a reality. And the very reason, I think, is the peace in her heart because there is hope in what she believed. Hope is the light that sparks in the heart of a person who is going through the toughest moment and the darkest moment of his or her life. I'll repeat that line. Hope is the light that sparks in the heart and mind of the person in the midst of a tough moment, a devastating time of his or her life. It is hope that sparks deep within the heart. Something that Joseph Stalin, I believe, did not have. We all have hope because we are here. We all have hope because we are followers of Jesus Christ. But don't you know that there are times in our lives that Satan, the enemy, would come and try to steal that hope that we have. That is why even believers would experience feeling grief, would experience feeling disappointment, devastation. Why? Because Satan can come anytime and he's trying to, he's trying to find a moment that he can come into your very presence and then would steal the peace and the hope that you have in your heart and mind. How does that happen? How does that happen? From time to time, we experience that too. I just encountered a student who failed in the examination, something that he was hoping that he would make it through because as if he was relying so much on that examination and the result and that the result of that exam would bring a notch into their life, into their economic status of life. And yet he failed. He was so devastated and I look into his eyes, I saw that hope is totally gone. When there is someone we love so dear and close to us and we rely so much on the person to provide, to protect, to care for us, when that person is gone, sometimes we also give up the hope that there, that's there within our hearts. Satan may come into your life and try to steal that hope because when hope is gone, as if everything is about to end already. This reality was experienced by the early believers. No wonder in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. Shall we open our Bibles in the text? 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. It says here, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. May the good Lord bless the reading of His word. During those days, the believers were experiencing somewhat like anxiety deep within them. Because they were anticipating for the coming of Christ already. And they were believing that it was so imminent, so close already. And they started living their lives no longer in a sensible manner. And added to that, they had friends, they had relatives, they had church mates 
who passed away that they consider their passing away as untimely death and thus they were wondering if Christ would come already. And we were taught that the believers will be caught up in the air to meet the master. Well, what will happen with those brethren? What will happen with our relatives who believed in Jesus and yet they are dead already? What will happen to them? Will they not be included in the rapture? Will they not be part of the meeting with Jesus in the air as stated in the scriptures? Will they be excluded from that already? And they became anxious about this matter. So when this kind of news was brought by Timothy to Paul, when Paul heard the news coming from the church in Thessalonica, he had to address this kind of anxiety that the believers were going through. And thus, the letter to the first to the, to the Thessalonians was written, the book of First Thessalonians. As I often told you, this was a letter. Okay? We find it tiresome reading a letter that is a page. How much more if you read the book of First Thessalonians, it would be comprised with a lot of pages before you finish it. And Paul was the one who wrote it, and it's very theological at the same time ethical and there are many other things that you need to really ponder upon so that you'll be able to understand it and Paul was trying to address this reality that they were going through they were anxious about it and Paul addressed this matter through this section of the text so I want us to go through these verses from verse 13 up to verse 18 and take note of these words three words starting with letter C I want us to take note of this because I'm going to use these three words as we navigate in these verses. 13 to 18. The first word that I will be using is the word cogitation. Okay? Cogitation. It's the process of reflecting, thinking deeply and intently about a certain matter. The next word is content and the third word is command. Okay? Take note of those three words. We will navigate it all through these verses using those three words. Cogitation. When you look at the advice of the Apostle Paul at the very early part of the text, it says here, but we do not want you to be uninformed. Paul was addressing the cognitive aspect of the believers. They need to know something so that their hearts will be at ease and at peace. They needed to take hold of the knowledge about the end times. Take note that in the, in the earlier chapter, look at chapter 1, the last verse of the first chapter, the last verse of the second chapter, and the last verse of the third chapter of the book of First Thessalonians. You would see that Paul over and over mentioned the second coming of Jesus Christ. Repeatedly mentioned in these three earlier chapters that Jesus is coming back. And then you proceed to the fifth chapter, verses 1 to 3, because we are in the fourth chapter, we're discussing about chapter 4. Look at chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. Again, Paul included in the discussion the second coming of Christ. So this image that he is trying to portray here in verses 13 to 18, they, these verses are surrounded with the ideas about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And thus Paul is telling the believers, I want you to be informed, not uninformed about this matter. So he was now teaching them about the second coming of Christ because your understanding, 
your perception about a certain matter would affect the kind of life that you live in the current time. Their understanding about the future was affecting the way they live during these days. And so Paul had to address them and educate them about the second coming of Jesus. And he stated further saying this in the second part of verse 13. He said, about those who are asleep so that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. People were grieving. People were disappointed. People were devastated. And they were grieving here as if they did not have hope. And this is something problematic because if this happened even among the believers, this is the moment that Satan would steal the peace in your heart when you lose your hope. Thus, it is important to have hope, to keep it intact, deep within our lives. Oh, by the way, we are on the second part of the series called Indispensable. Last Sunday, we talked about faith. Today, we're discussing about hope. Next Sunday, Dr. Rosalita would preach about love, faith, hope, and love. And this, is, this hope that I'm talking about is something that the believers shall keep because this is a target of Satan. He wants to take this away from you. Once he takes this away from you, you will have no peace in your heart. You will have no confidence deep within you. And if you don't have peace and confidence deep within you, then you will not live your life in a sensible way while you are existing on this planet before the coming of Christ. Thus, Paul was really trying to address this in the minds and heart of the believers. So Paul was telling them, I want you to be informed, not uninformed. About what? About the coming of Christ. That when a person has a relative, has a loved one who wants to be with the Lord already, the bereaved person shall not grieve as if there is no hope. There is much difference between a person who grieves as if there is no hope and a person who grieves with hope in his heart. This is what happens. When a person grieves who has no hope, a person who has, doesn't have a hope in his heart, when he grieves, he thinks that it's the end of everything. A person who does not have hope, when he grieves, he thinks it's the end of everything. That is why there are many people who would experience depression. I was talking to a friend early this morning. And I, I was actually thinking of asking him for a testimony here. Because what he went through, he went to a depressive, very depressed state in his life. And I asked him, what did you feel? What were you perceiving back then? He said, I find it hard to perceive what I was going through. But the only thing that I remember was that everything was dark around me. I tried to reflect what was going on deep within my heart and mind. All I realized, all I thought were darkness. I look around me inside my room, outside my room within our house. Everything was darkness and there is no reason for me to get up. So I was lying in my bed for months. Imagine that. When hope is gone, there is no reason to live. That is why Satan would really try to come and steal it from a believer. But when a person would grieve and yet he has hope in his heart, it's different. 
Because when you grieve with hope, you still acknowledge the emotional pain that you have. But deep within your very soul, there is something within you that tells you this will come to pass. You got to go on. You got to stand up. You got to move on. There's a big difference on those, in these two ideas. When you grieve, how do you grieve? Do you grieve as if there is a hope? Or do you grieve as if hope is gone after all these years? That you have experienced the grace of God and the work of God. That is why Paul was telling the believers here, I don't like you to be uninformed about this matter. As if you are grieving, uh, you are grieving like the other people who do not have hope. You have hope. And that was the time when he was inviting the believers to be in that moment of cogitation, to think about it, to ponder upon the matter. And he proceeded to the content. What was he talking about here? What did he explain further in the content? When you look at verses 14 to 17, he started stating this. Listen very carefully with to verse 14. He said, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, what, was, what, will, what will happen? Even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. In other words, this calls for what I preached last Sunday, that this calls for evaluating ourselves if we have the right object of faith. Last Sunday, I told you that we all have faith. What varies is that we have different objects of faith. But for all the believers, our main or the only object of our faith is no other than Jesus Christ himself. And it is reiterated here when Paul explained this blessed hope in the book of 1 Thessalonians, he's actually bringing back into the minds of the believers, reminding them that your hope must be anchored upon the very person of Christ. No wonder he said in verse 14, if you believe in Jesus that he died and he rose again, why did he bring us back? Our, why did he bring our minds back? To the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because of all, of all the scheming of Satan, the greatest weapon that he can present to you to take away your hope is death. Oftentimes, failures, we may be able to cope with it. When we are devastated because there is a relational issue, we may be able to cope with it. But if the dearest person in our life comes to the fin finality of his life, when his life is gone, hope is somehow also believed to be, gunning, uh, to be going away with the person. Death is the greatest weapon that the enemy is trying to use against us to steal our hope. But what we realize here, based on the statement of Paul, he mentioned at the very beginning that if you are a follower of Christ, remember this. That our hope must be anchored in Him and that we believe that He died and rose again. That we believe in the gospel. What is that gospel? What is that good news? That we have a Savior who offered Himself as a sacrifice. That the grave came to hold His life and yet that grave did not have a power over Him because on the third day He rose again. That becomes the basis now for the blessed hope. Why? Because he went through it. This is just like if somebody would come to you and tell you, have you gone to this place? And you would tell the person, no, I did not yet. 
Well, do you want to go there? I'll, I'll, I'll guide you. And you ask him, were you able to go there? No, not yet. So you will be two people who are both first-timers. It's going to be problematic. And I won't trust the person. Why? He did not go there yet, just like me. But if I ask the person, have you been there? Come go with me. Have you been there? If I'll ask him and he would say, yeah, I've been there many times. I know what it means to be there. I know exactly what you, you, we will experience when we are there. So you will have a confidence in that person. Why? He's been there. It's on that same sense that Paul is using this analogy, this reality, bringing us back to the death of Christ. Yes, Satan would come to us and would present death as his greatest weapon to take away our hope. And yet when we think about what Christ has done, he has gone through the grave and the grave wasn't able to hold him. And he's telling us, my son, I have been there. You might die physically, but I have the power to bring you back to life. You see the hope that you could get when you put your faith in Christ alone. No wonder Paul was telling the believers, do not grieve just as these people are grieving as if they don't have hope. Because you have the hope in Christ. And he elaborated further as what will, will be happening. He said, when Christ shall come, he will be appearing in the clouds. And then those who are asleep, take note of the euphemism here. Take note of the figure of speech that he used to describe death. He did not use the word death. He used the word asleep. It's a figure of speech to pertain to death. Why did he use this figure of speech? To give us a sense of understanding that he has the ability to wake you up when you are dead already. Amazing. He used, you are just as if sleeping in the eyes of God. So when Christ shall come with the sound of the trumpet, with the sound of the voices of the angels, he would come in the sky and those who were dead with Christ in their hearts, they will be risen back to life. And those who are alive by the coming of Jesus will be caught up into the air to meet the Savior that we have been waiting for. Imagine that. That's the blessed hope that you and I have. In Christ Jesus. That's how Paul described it here in verses 15 to 17. That's the content of what he's talking about. After he stated the foundation of our faith, which is the death, the person, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. He brought our mind into the picture about that blessed hope that he's talking about. And then in the last part of the text, he gave the command. So there was a cogitation. There was the giving of the content, and then lastly, he gave them the command. What was the command? He said in verse 18, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. What are the words that he's talking about? He's actually talking about verses 14 to 17. That those who have faith in Jesus are certain. Now, here is something. Pardon me. If I will use some technical terms this time, but I find it necessary to mention this to you. If you look at the Greek version of the scriptures, you will find out that the verbs used in verses 14 to 17 were most of them, I think 8 out of 10 of the verbs that were mentioned here, 
were in an indicative mood. Okay. Take note of that mood, indicative. Paul did not use a subjunctive mood in the verbs. What's the difference? When the verb is in, an, in a subjunctive mood, the, the one who wrote the letter or the one who is speaking is actually presenting a possibility or a probability. Take note. But when he, use, when he uses a mood that is indicative, it means that he is asserting something that is a fact. There is a difference between the two. A possibility or a probability versus a fact. Factual. And there is a big difference between these two. Why? Because if it's just a probability that he is going to do these things that were mentioned in verses 14 to 17, it means to say there is also a probability that it won't happen. Right? If somebody tells you, my love, it's your birthday on Saturday. Right? Please come home. And the person would say, I can probably come home. Well, you will expect for him to come home. However, you shall leave some space for disappointment. Why? Because it's probably. And if it's a probability, there is a probability as well that he won't be able to make it. Right? When Paul penned this down, the verbs, most of them, were not in subjunctive mood, a probability, but he used the indicative mood. Why? Because in his mind, it is certain. The coming of Christ is certain, and because his coming is certain, your resurrection is certain, your glorification is certain, your hope is certain. Have you thought about it? Wow! This is not a probability. The only uncertain thing in the coming of Christ is the time when he is coming. That's why when you look at chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, what he said there is that we don't know. He will be coming like a thief in the night. But if you're going to ask me, is he coming? Certainly he is coming. When exactly? We don't know. He's going to come like a thief in the night. But he is sure that Christ is coming back. And because his coming is certain, your resurrection is certain, your glorification is certain, the hope that you have is certain. No wonder he told the believers on the last part of the section in verse 18, encourage one another. Isn't it an encouragement to all of us who hope in Christ? That our hope is anchored on something that is certain? Yes, it is indeed. And that is why I'm encouraging every one of us. If Satan would come to you, would try to shake your life, would try to shake your family, would try to shake you because of your job, if your contract came to an end and you are not renewed, if your life is at stake this time, if there is a great danger that confronts you, if relationships are crumbling down, if there are things that made you so devastated in life, wake up. Why? Because if you are a Christian, there is always a spark of hope in your heart that comes from the very person and work and life of Jesus Christ. There is always hope in you. And when Satan comes, he will tell you, I'll take that away. Tell him no. 
Because whatever situation I am in, I am an overcomer. Because I have hope deep within me. I don't know what you're going through in your life today. Maybe you're going through some ailments, cancer. Maybe you have emotional struggle because you lost someone. It's not final, my dear. In Christ, there is always a spark of hope. And our understanding of His coming would affect the way we live today. Because when we are standing in the midst of the trials and difficulties, while the hope remains, there is always a light that we would be able to see. And while there is the light deep within us, there is always the reason to rise up and fight and go on with our faith in Christ. Don't lose that hope. Don't let Satan grab it from you. Stand up and tell him, I am a child of God and I am an overcomer in Christ because I always have the hope in my heart. God bless you all and good morning. You just heard the message from Zumbuanga City Alliance Evangelical Church. We hope that it will help you in your journey with the Lord Jesus Christ. For more updates, you can follow us in our social media platforms in Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Zekayak Ministries. See you there!